will not wait. I will not wait. We will not wait. I will not wait. I will not wait. We will not wait. Hi, I'm Vic. Hi, I'm Marcus. We will not wait. I'm Naomi. Hi, I'm Brandon. Hi, I'm Laura. Listen, let, let me just do some bragging on my wife real quick, okay? Um, as people have heard Amber's story over the course of our marriage, there's always a big question that everybody asks, right, in response. And it is, how in the world did you turn out like you turned out? Like, how did you become the woman that you are today in spite of all that you've gone through? And I love what my wife says. She never once has said, well, it's because I'm awesome, right? And I've worked really, really hard to become this type of woman. Listen to me, even though she is awesome and she has worked very hard to become the woman that she is today, um, all the time I hear her say what she said on this stage earlier, it is by God's grace that I am the woman I am today. And I just love my wife so much for always being quick to give credit to God for keeping his hand on her life and directing her life down a path that she had every excuse not to walk down. And I just want to say to you, in front of you, to my wife, I know it's by God's grace I'm married to this woman. Um, God knew that I needed a woman with a very kind, tender, compassionate heart because I'm a dude who can display none of those things at times. And, uh, and just through her character alone, she challenges me to become more and more like Jesus. And so I said I wasn't going to do that, but uh, I, I love you more than I can say, and uh, blessed to have you as my wife, all right? Uh, all right, enough of the sappy stuff. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me do that. Uh, okay, I asked Amber to share her story today for a very simple reason, okay? Um, for this reason alone, today we're talking about our second core value of grace. Uh, we started a series last week called Known, and I told you that this series is a series on the six things that I desperately want this church to be known for and to be known by. And again, today, we're talking about our core value of grace. If you go on our website, here's how this core value reads. It says, we value grace that everyone needs second chances. And it goes on to say this, we believe that our God is a God of grace and second chances. It's only because of his grace expressed in Jesus that we can know new life in him and eternal life with him. We will be a church that displays grace to people far from God so that they can experience the second chance at life that only he Offers. Now, as I did last week when we talked about faith, I want to share with you why grace made the list, all right? There's only six things that made the list, so we had to be really picky. So why grace? Well, there are two big reasons, and I, and I did my best to capture these reason, reasons in that paragraph that I wrote. Uh, one reason is this. You and I, as a church family, we cannot accomplish our mission if we are not a people of grace, like, if you've been here the last month, the last six weeks, you've heard me say this mission time and time again from stage. We are a church that exists to do what? To relentlessly pursue those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus. And it's for a very simple reason. 
because we want to help those people find their way back to God. We want to help those people experience the life that God has for them. And listen to me, church, don't miss this. We can't be about that mission without being a people of grace. We can't help people find their way back to a gracious God if all we do is go out in the world ready to judge and condemn. Instead, we have to walk out into the world as gracious, loving, compassionate, kind people. And we have to form relationships with people who aren't like us, who believe differently than we believe, who behave differently than we behave. And we have to be that church that is quick to invite and to welcome people in to who we are, that everybody else in this community has given up on and that no other church in our community wants. That's the church we have to be. We have to be a church, a people characterized and defined by grace. I want to say to you this morning, too, maybe you're here, and, uh, and this whole church Jesus thing is like brand new for you. Like maybe you're here, and you have no idea what you even believe about Jesus, but somebody told you they'd buy your lunch if you came to church, so you're here, right? Here's what I want to say to you. Uh, man, I, I'm so glad that you're here. Even if you're here and you're that person who thought maybe the building was going to explode when you walked in, um, maybe you're the person who's lived a life full of regrets and mistakes, I just want to say we're a church that loves you, and we're glad that you're here, and so much of what we do is about you and for you, and more than anything, we want you to experience the life that God has for you. And my prayer is that every time you're around us, that you would believe what I'm saying is true because of the grace you receive from the people sitting in this room. And listen, I'll even give you permission to do something, all right, if you're, you're new here. If you think we're a church that stinks at grace, get out that connection card in one of the seatbacks around you and graciously write on there, you guys stink at grace, all right? And, and tell me why, because I'm being serious. I, I wanna know if your perception is you guys aren't gracious people, because again, what I know is we can't be about what we believe God's called us to if we aren't people like Jesus, and if we're not like Jesus, then we've got a lot of work to do. Um, this ties into the second reason grace made the list, all right? If we want to be a church that represents Jesus well in our world, then we have to be a people of grace. If you were here during our last series, there was one week where we read John 1.14 together, which tells us that Jesus came to this earth and he was full of grace and truth. That when Jesus came here, he, he was honest, right? He was always quick to tell people the truth. He, he called people away from their sin and into a relationship with God, but he always wrapped the truth in grace. When it came to sinful people, he always led with kindness and compassion so that when the truth left his lips, people listening knew that what he was saying was for their good and for their benefit, and since Jesus is our God, our Savior, and our example, our desire should always to become more and more like him. And in order to do that, church, again, we have to be people of grace. So the big question is this. How does that happen? How do we pull that off? How, how do we ensure that we are that church known by grace and for grace, that we're constantly becoming more gracious as followers of Jesus and not less gracious? Well, first, here's what you have to understand. You have to know that you don't become a gracious person by waking up one day and just deciding, I'm going to try really, really hard to be a gracious person. 
that doesn't work. Like, you can try that, but ultimately somebody's going to tick you off, cut you off in traffic, and you're going to lose it, right? So, so it doesn't work for you just to make that decision and try really hard. Instead, the scriptures teach consistently and constantly that our willingness to show grace to others is dependent upon our understanding of the grace that God has shown us. So in other words, if you're that person in the room this morning... And every time you think about God's grace expressed toward you in Jesus, I mean, you're just captivated. Like, you're blown away. When we sing songs like we sang earlier, like your heart feels like it's going to jump out of your chest because, man, you're just sitting there going, are you kidding me? God, you're so gracious, and I can't believe how you loved me. If that's you, then there's a good chance that you're probably going to be a person freely extending grace to others. Like, this was the point of my wife's story earlier, right? What did she say? She said, I give grace away because I know the grace that I've received. Like, I know what God's given me, and I didn't deserve it, and I'm going to freely show that same grace to those in my life. If you're taking notes, write down this simple statement. People who grasp grace give grace. People who grasp grace give grace. Now, on the other hand, if you're that person who uh, is in the room and you refuse to freely extend grace to others, here's what that tells me about you. It tells me that you don't grasp grace. It tells me that you're here this morning, but you don't have an understanding of how jacked up you truly are and how desperately you need the grace that God offers you. Now, listen, I know that that could be offensive to some of us, right? Like you might be sitting here going, Dude, I just stepped in your church for the first day. How dare you call me jacked up, bro? You don't know me, right? Like, come off the stage. I'll show you if I'm jacked up. Here's what I want to do for you. Here's all I want to do for you. I just want to read this book together this morning. And my prayer is that before we walk out of this room today, that we would all of us understand, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how bad you think you are, that we would all leave with an understanding of just how messed up, jacked up, helpless we truly are, and how desperately we need the God of grace, or the grace of God in our lives. So if you have your Bibles open, go to Ephesians 2 with me, and we're going to pick up and start reading in verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's what Paul points to in this passage. He lets us know that by nature we are sinful people. What that means is this. It means that you and I sin because we are sinners. It doesn't mean that sinning makes us sinners, all right? And and let me illustrate that so you don't miss it, okay? Uh, Think about like a dog with me. Why does a dog bark? Because it's a dog, right? Like none of us ever have to see a dog and go, I wonder if that's a dog. Um, I know what I'll do. I'll just hang out and see if it barks. And, uh, And if it barks, I'll know it's a dog. No, we don't do that. We look at a dog and we expect a dog to bark. Why? Because it's a dog, Paul's telling us that when it comes to you and I as people, that the expectation for us is that we sin. Why? Because by nature, we are sinners. We are sinful people. Like, I don't have to schedule dinner with you 
to find out whether or not you're a sinner. Like, I don't have to come and sit at your table and just wait for you to drop like a four-letter word so that I can say, I knew it, right? Guy, filthy sinner. I knew it. Like, I know you're a sinner, and you know I'm a sinner. Why? Because we're all sinners. We were all born into this world with a broken, sinful nature, and because that's true of us, guess what we do? We sin. We fail to live up to God's standards. We fail to live the life that God created us to live. We fail to live lives that honor God, make him known to the world around us. As Paul says, apart from Christ, what we do is we follow the ways of the world. We just do what we want, what pleases us. Our desire is to satisfy the cravings of our sinful nature. I'm getting a picture of this right now with my two-year-old daughter, all right? And if you're a parent, you know where I'm going with this. Um, no one had to teach my daughter, who's two, how to sin. Nobody had to teach her. Nobody had to teach her how to say no. Um, nobody had to teach her how to hit mom or dad. Nobody had to teach her how to disobey. We didn't even teach her how to lose her mind in the middle of the grocery store when we refused to buy her something, Right? She figured all that out on her own. And do you know why she figured it out? Because as much as I love my little girl, with all my heart I love her, at the end of the day, she is a dirty little sinner, okay? (laughs) And you know what dirty little sinners do? They try to do what they want because their very nature is selfish and defiant. And Paul's telling us in this passage that every person born into this world, including you and me, is born with that same sinful, broken, selfish, defiant nature. Now, Paul also tells us in these first few verses that as sinful people, we are dead people. You see, the Bible clearly teaches time and again that sin kills, it destroys, and it separates us from God who is the source of both physical and spiritual life. As I was reading this passage this past week, I I started getting like that, that show, scenes from that show, The Walking Dead, running through my mind. You guys ever seen that? It's about a zombie apocalypse and these people, you know, surviving it. Don't you judge me, all right? Um, But I was thinking about it, right? Because think about zombies. If you've ever seen a show or a movie, what do you know about zombies? You know that they're extremely selfish. They go around eating people, right? That's not cool. That's very rude. Um, You know also, though, that they're dead even though they appear to have life in them, right? We know that they can't do anything to make themselves alive. I mean, they're dead. They can't do anything for themselves to make themselves alive again. And this passage reminded me this past week that apart from Jesus, this is who we are. We are walking dead type people. That even though all of us have physical life in us, that apart from Jesus, we are void of the most important kind of life, spiritual life, life that leads to God and an eternity with him. And this is all, again, due to our sinful nature. You see, man, you might be lucky and live like 80, 90 years here on the earth, but if you slip into eternity without spiritual life, like you're in big trouble. And if you live your entire life here on the earth without spiritual life, your life won't matter. And I don't want that for you. You know what our biggest issue is? As spiritually dead people, we can do nothing for ourselves to make ourselves spiritually alive again. Can't come to church enough. Can't follow enough rules. You can't be nice enough to enough 
people, we have no power in and of ourselves to make ourselves spiritually alive. And the worst part of this whole thing is what Paul tells us in verse 3. He says, because of who we are, because we are sinful people, spiritually dead people, that what we deserve from God is his wrath. We deserve God's anger. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve his punishment. Simply what we deserve is to spend all of our eternal lives separated from God in a very real place called hell. Now, now listen to me. This would be horrible, depressing news if this is where Paul shut down the passage, right? Like if Paul wrote, you, you're dead, you're sinful, um, man, you're an enemy of God, here's what you deserve, I'm out. Horrible. Because what Paul told us is this, is that all of us sitting in the room today, we're jacked up, we're messed up, and we are helpless people, and that without the grace of God, we are all in very, very big trouble. But what I love so much about this passage is this, Paul goes on in the next verses to tell us that we have a very gracious God that loves to help jacked up, helpless people. I want you to read on with me. Verse four, but God, I love that statement, not, but thank God we all figured it out, right? Not, but you're so awesome and you made God love you. No, 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 Paul says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so get this in your mind, okay? Here we are, spiritually dead, sinful people who could care less about honoring God with our lives. He created us, and we say back to him with the way that we live, we could care less about who you are and what you created us for. And we live our lives like that. And God, because of who he is, has every right to pour out his anger and judgment on us. But what does he do? He chooses to love us. He chooses to meet us where we are and to pour out his grace and his mercy on us. He chooses to withhold from us what we deserve from him, right? That's mercy. And he chooses instead to give us what we don't deserve from him, that's grace, by sending his son Jesus into the world so that we could be made spiritually alive again. And church, listen to me, he did that for us knowing that we could never repay him even if we had all eternity to try. See, when you and I couldn't live the life God created us to live, God was gracious and he sent Jesus to the world to live that life for us. When you and I deserve to die for our sins, God was gracious and he sent Jesus to die in our place. When you and I deserved hell because of who we are, God was gracious and he sent Jesus to experience hell on the cross on our behalf so that we'd never have to know what hell is like. And when we deserve to die as hopeless people, God was gracious in raising his son up from the dead after three days, conquering death for us so that we could become new people and know eternal life with him one day. Church, we serve a God of grace. We serve a God who loves us more than we will ever comprehend. And I love verse 7. It's so insane to me. Listen, Paul goes on to say God did all this for us so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? 
it means that God poured out mercy and grace on us so that after our lives on this earth are over, we can go into his kingdom and we can spend the rest of eternity with Jesus Christ in the flesh, our Savior. Listen to this. And be reminded for the rest of our existence just how gracious and loving and kind our God truly is. He showed us grace now so that he can continue to show us grace for the rest of eternity. He didn't save you because you're awesome. He didn't save you because you're so lovable. He saved you because he's gracious and he wants you to know that both in this life and in the next. I mean, how insane is that? This is the God we're here to worship this morning. And Paul goes on and he, he says this in the next two verses, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know what I love about this passage? Paul reminds us that we're so broken and sinful that we couldn't even muster up the faith necessary to ask God to save us through Jesus Christ. So you know what God did? Because he's gracious, he gave us faith as a gift of grace. What he did for us as broken, sinful people is he said, here's the faith necessary to believe in what I've done for you. Take the faith I'm giving you, put it back in me. That's who God is. And he designed salvation to work this way so that you and I would never dare to take credit for what he's done for us in and through Jesus Christ. All he wants from us is this, to boast and to brag both in this life and for the rest of eternity about how awesome and amazing and gracious and loving he truly is. He deserves it, church. Here's two questions I want to ask you this morning in light of God's amazing grace, all right? If you're here and you say you know Jesus, if you're here and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, how in the world could we truly grasp the grace of God yet fail to give it away to others? Like if you're the person here again, you say you know Jesus, how in the world is it possible for you to truly understand the depths of what God has done for you in Jesus, but refuse to give others the same grace that he's given you? You know what the simple answer is? You can't. It's impossible. Again, what did we say earlier? People who grasp grace, what do they do? They give grace. When you and I understand the depths of what God has done for us, we become those people in spite of how people have treated us, what we've experienced, that desire to freely give away what we've been given so that other people can experience the second chance at life that God offers. And if you're that person that goes, James, I don't know, man. I've been in church all my life. I don't know if, that's, if it's that easy. I've heard Ephesians 2 preach a hundred times. I, I would just say to you, you don't fully grasp the grace of God. And my prayer for you this morning is this, is that before you walk out of this place, that God would captivate you with what he's done for you. Like I pray this morning might be the morning for you. If you're the person who refuses to extend grace to others, that you truly come to grips and you grasp the depths of God's grace toward you and that from today on, you're never the same. That's my prayer for you. Now listen, if you're in the room, second question, if you're in the room this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you have never accepted the gift of salvation that God offers you through Jesus Christ, here's my question for you. What are you waiting for? 
What's holding you back? What are you struggling with? Like you might say to me this morning, well, James, you don't know what I've done. And you don't know the, the mistakes I've made. You don't know what my past looks like. You don't know the people I've hurt. Here's what I want to do. I want to free you up today. All right, listen to me. God, before he made you, knew how messed up you'd be. He knew the mistakes you would make. He, he knew all the times you would fail him and fail others. And look at me. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's recognition of that. He knew you needed a savior. He knew you couldn't do for yourself what needed to be done so that you could be made spiritually alive again. And he put his own son to death in recognition that you would be a jacked up, messed up, sinful, broken, helpless person. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. God is a God of grace and love, and he wants to extend that grace and love toward you freely today. So what are you waiting for? Accept God's gift of salvation today if you have never made that decision. Ask God for a second chance at life. Ask God to forgive you and to make you a new person. And God promises in the scripture, if you come to him in faith, that he will do those very things for you. And you can walk out the door this morning, hopeful about life, hopeful about eternity, living for a purpose that is bigger than you. If you need to make that decision today for the first time to accept God's grace expressed in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. I just want to invite you all over the room just to bow your heads and to close your eyes and to pray with me. If you need to make that decision, no magic prayer saves you. You don't have to say any special words. But just in this moment, in the quietness of your heart, I would just say express something like this to God. Say, God, I know I'm a sinful person. God, I know I need spiritual life. And God, I'm coming to you today and I'm asking you for your grace. God, I believe that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die for me so that my sins could be forgiven. I believe, God, that you rose Jesus from the dead so that I could be made into a new person and know eternal life with you one day. God, I'm just reaching out for your grace today. God, save me, rescue me, forgive me, do something for me that I can't do for myself. God, save me today. I just want you to know, man, if, if you prayed along with me, God is already at work in your life. Right now, God is invading your space and he is working on you. And he will keep his promise to you to tear the old you out of you and to replace it with the new you. And again, you can walk out of this room today knowing that you'll see him one day and it'll be a good day for you. God, I thank you for new brothers and sisters in the family. I thank you for people this morning who have gone from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive again. God, my prayer for the rest of us is that this morning you would just continue to captivate us with your grace. Blow us away. God, don't let us walk out of this room the same that we walked in. God, we are here for you. And I pray, God, that as we respond in the next few moments to who you are and what you've done for us, God, that your presence would just fall in this room and that there would be no denying that you are here with us. God, we love you more than we can express in words, and we thank you for the way that you love us.
God, we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. Let's sing together.